Welcome to the American Valor Podcast. The Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation is the unique intersection of Major League Baseball and the United States Navy and Marine Corps, representing the 37 Baseball Hall of Famers who served in World War II, led by Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller. My name is Nathaniel Cameron. My name is Tyler Buckholtz. And my name is Colin Kirk. We represent the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation. On the American Valor podcast, we search for people who display American Valor. These individuals represent our four pillars of citizenship, service to one's country, sacrifice to one's goals, and legacy to future generations. We'll find their stories and bring them to you, stories you want to hear. Today, we are privileged to be joined by Dr. C.J. Mitchell, the 15th Force Master Chief of the Navy Reserve and an experienced adjunct professor of leadership and management. Dr. Mitchell earned a PhD in organizational leadership from North Central University and is currently a member of the board of directors of the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation and a motivational speaker. Dr. C.J. Mitchell, thank you for sharing your time with us today on the American Valor Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Nathaniel. It's my pleasure to uh, spend a little bit of time with you. If you will, please tell us your story. My story, uh, humble beginnings. Uh, I'm born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. I came from a family of uh, people that have served. And what I mean by that is they've served their communities, they've served their public, or they've served their country. Uh, I come from a family of teachers, ministers, and people that have served in the military. Uh, I didn't know I was going to follow in those footsteps, but I did. Found myself uh, in the Navy about 30 years ago. Uh, came on active duty soon after Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait in the first desert storm and continued to serve. I started out in the Navy, again, serving my people um, in human resources. Back then, we called it personnel. Rose to the ranks. I was stationed, I've been stationed all over the United States, from um, Florida to Washington, D.C., to San Diego, to New Orleans, to uh, Millington, to Virginia. And my career ended in, um, in Washington, D.C., in the Navy, in the Pentagon, as the Force Master Chief of the Navy Reserve. A civilian way to describe that senior enlisted, most senior enlisted person in the Navy Reserve is the civilian way to describe that is uh, I was like the chief people officer. My job was performance management, motivation, professional development of the enlisted workforce, and perhaps most importantly, to advocate for the sailors and their families, not just in the Pentagon, but also on Capitol Hill, in the White House, uh, corporate boardrooms, and state houses around the country. The Navy Reserve has 60,000 people in it, uh, and 125 Navy operational centers in 50 states and two territories, with anywhere from three to 5,000 people deployed around the world at any one time. Uh, very proud to serve there. Upon leaving the military um, in the fall of 17, I transitioned to uh, do a very similar role in a corporate function as uh, director of HR for Comcast Spotlight, the advertising sales division for the Southeastern United States. You mentioned my academic credentials. Um, I also have a master's degree in sports management and leadership, in addition to my PhD 
and I very much enjoy teaching online, facilitating leadership development discussions and seminars, and doing that kind of consulting work. Back to kind of Bob Feller a little bit. Uh, born and raised in Cincinnati, which means I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, as long as well as being a Cincinnati Bengals fan and Ohio State Buckeyes fan. I grew up my formative years as a baseball fan was uh, the Big Red Machine, my favorite baseball player, major leaguer, um, and Hall of Famer was Joe Morgan. Cincinnati is the birthplace of Pete Rose, Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo, among others. So I am very uh, excited and proud uh, to be a part of the Bob Feller Foundation, which combines my love of baseball, my love of the state, the great state of Ohio, and a connection to Bob Feller's service, which was very similar to mine in the United States Navy. So how did you uh, hear about the foundation and kind of get started with the foundation? Uh, great question. Um, I was actually asked, I, I heard about the foundation when I want to say it was either the first or second award ceremony um, for the act of valor winner. Um, that, you know, some Navy award, Navy message goes out to everyone. And that recognition ceremony happens in Washington, D.C., where I happen to be stationed. So not only did I become aware of it, I wanted to be a part of it. I participated in the ceremony as a guest. And then somewhere along the line, the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy could not attend. So he asked me to speak on his behalf. And I, I've done that uh, on his behalf a couple of times. So that was my initial involvement was, um, was there because I was close proximity to the award and had heard about it and wanted to join in the recognition ceremony. So you mentioned you grew up a Reds fan. Uh, we previously had on uh, Reds Hall of Famer Johnny Bench. What was it like growing up watching the Big Red Machine? Well, you know what? Uh, Johnny Bench, absolutely uh, one of my heroes uh, from the Big Red Machine. And what was maybe different back then, um, that's maybe different now, I don't, I don't feel it now, is the Cincinnati Reds were a part of the community. Um, you actually kind of saw them around. They visited your school. I played in the same little league as Ken Griffey Jr. Now I'm older than him, and he was playing with kids older than him. But I remember hitting a, you know, hitting a, a ground ball to shortstop, and Ken Griffey Jr. gobbled it up, and <laughs> and threw me out at first base. And the cheering section for him was like Johnny Bench and Ken Griffey and George Foster. You know, so what was what it was like? So it, one, you were very proud to have the Cincinnati Reds and World Champions in '75 and '76, and and uh, and perennially on, you know, perennially in the uh, in the playoff hunt. But those players were interactive and engaged in the community, so you felt like they were yours, and you felt like they represented your small city of Cincinnati, Ohio. And so when they were on TV, when they were doing things well, you were proud because they were your team. Now, another thing that was different is we did a lot of listening to baseball on the radio. So when you're listening on the radio, it's different and you, and you know, it was a family activity. 
So, cause not, you know, again, we didn't have, you know, ESPN back then. So a lot of listening on the radio as a family activity to the hometown team, cause you couldn't watch them all the time. So you chose to listen. So now going into your work uh, with leadership development, what are some traits that you would value in a leader or you think uh, contributes to being a good leader? Well, you know, you get a PhD in organizational leadership and you spend some time teaching it, you develop your own leadership philosophy. And my leadership philosophy is threefold, three because that's about all I can remember, but three is the <laughs> easiest way to condense it, is um, the first thing is look them in the eye and tell them the truth. And that's whether you're, uh, whether you're speaking to superiors, whether you're speaking, speaking to your followers, your employees, your associates, the people that work for you, or whether you're speaking to your peers, you have to be able to look people in the eye and tell them the truth and give them real-time feedback, real-time instruction, real-time correction, and holding people accountable and rewarding them. You have to look them in the eye and tell them the truth. The second thing is, and if you've been involved with sports, you probably saw this somewhere, together we achieve more. Teamwork. To be a good leader, you must build and sustain a team. And my third leadership principle is based on accountability. Leaders must first hold themselves accountable to a high standard and then hold their teammates accountable to a high standard. The common thread through all of that, and maybe this is the fourth thing, is communication. Leaders must be able to communicate a vision. They must be able to motivate, not by interacting with their people. I'm not so much a believer in leadership by example. I'm a believer in leadership by communication, leadership by interaction, leadership by engagement. So that's what I facilitate is how can leaders engage with their people, communicate with their people in a manner to motivate them to work on behalf, not just of the leader, but also on behalf of the organization that they're in. What do you think are some of those ways that a leader can uh, inspire and motivate other people to, to do something bigger than themselves? Well, that's a great question. And, and really where I focus that on is, is, is really on about five things. And I think it's five things. I don't have this written down. It's kind of going off the cuff here. And I mentioned them earlier. Uh, leaders must teach. They must motivate. They must inspire. They must hold accountable and they must reward. And you have to be doing all five of those things almost simultaneously, depending on the situation and depending on the person. Now, te you know, teaching, holding somebody accountable, rewarding, those are pretty intuitive. But when you talk about the difference between motivating and inspiring, that may be the connective tissue of all those things. And the way I divide motivating and inspiring, motivating is me pushing you, is me putting incentives in front of you, me being the rah-rah cheer guy to give you something to motivate you, to light a fire under you, to get you excited. Where leaders really excel is when they can inspire people to do that for themselves. So leaders need to seek to do all five of those things depending on the circumstances. Teach, motivate, inspire, hold accountable, and reward. Does that, does that answer the question? 
Yeah, I, I believe so. And do you think that, you know, within different groups that all those things might change depending on the people that you're, you're working to lead and motivate? Well, absolutely. So, and, and again, it depends, you know, let's, let's look, you know, let's look at a situation. You're new to an organization. So what is a leader's thought process there? Hey, I need to teach this person. I need to teach them about their role. I need to teach them about our relationship. I need to teach them about this organization and I need to teach them how to be successful. That investment, if you pair it with motivation, inspires the person to want to contribute well and learn on behalf of the organization. Once you have taught them, now you're going to hold them accountable to whatever standard you expect. Hold them accountable to that standard so they rise up, so they continue to grow in the organization and meet the high standards that we talked about in my leadership philosophy. And then you also want to reward people. So, and then as they grow, as they learn different things. So imagine, you, you know, it's your new, it's your first week at a job and you're busting your butt and your manager or your director or your supervisor is teaching you a whole bunch of things. And they're going to say, Hey, this is how you're going to do it. Don't do it this way. They're going to do corrective action. But at the end of the week, they say, Hey, Nathaniel, you did a great job. You did well. You're, hey, can, thank you for completing a great first week. That's actually a reward that can be motivating, can be inspiring, and that's after you've taught and held somebody accountable. Now, you've been with the company six years. Don't you still want to reward and recognize employees for their contributions to your organization? Don't you want to continue to teach them different things? Don't you want to continue to try to motivate them to stay with the organization? and inspire them to work on their own on, on behalf of the organization. Those qualities absolutely depend on the situation and circumstance, but they apply to every situation and circumstance. So what kind of circumstances led you uh, to stay in the Navy and what kind of things did the Navy teach you? I tell you, I'm a bit of a, a narrative guy, so I'll tell you a story. And I've tried to resist telling a whole bunch of stories because, but why I decided to stay in the Navy there's a story there. And the story early in my career, I, uh, I took a trip. I had some fraternity brothers that were gathering for, um, gathering for a bachelor party. And I was at the point to where I was needing to make a decision about whether to stay in the Navy or not. And um, I flew to Washington, D.C. I got off the Metro, met my buddy who was limping. And I said, dude, why are you limping? He goes, I have a hangnail. I'm like, well, how bad is that hangnail? Well, when we got to his place, he showed it to me and it was impacted. It was infected. The, his big toe looked like a potato. It was just full overblown. So then we proceeded to go through the yellow pages or he proceeded to go through the yellow pages to try to find a podiatrist that was open on a Friday afternoon to treat this impacted, infected, ingrown toenail. And, and I was like, you know, saying my buddy, why is this so hard? Why don't you just go to the doctor? And he goes, well, I got to find someone that takes my mother's blue cross and blue shield. Talk about healthcare. And right away I thought, and after spending that weekend with my buddies and hearing about their struggles with their jobs, and how they didn't like the people that they worked with, and how they didn't have a purpose. 
I reflected back on my time in the Navy at that very short time in my career saying the Navy's given me a career field, an opportunity for a career. They've given me great benefits. They've given me a mission and a purpose. And I work with a lot of like-minded people and I'm a part of a team and quite frankly, part of a winning team. And from the end, I was having fun. I was seeing the world and comparing that to what my college buddies went through and the challenges that they were having at that time is why I chose to stay in the Navy. As I look back on it, absolutely, it's the people. As I look back on what I miss about the Navy, it's absolutely having a common purpose, having a common meaning, having a common bond with like-minded people. I had not gotten emotional about missing the military until I was watching a movie on an airplane. And I, I think the name of the movie is 12 Horses. Do you guys know the movie I'm talking about? Yes. The movie with Hemsworth where they were the special operations unit that was embedded with the Afghanis in the very beginning of 9-11. And they ended up having to attack the Taliban on horseback. Yeah, yes, sir. Seen? Yeah, you know the movie I'm talking about. Okay, great. I got emotional at the beginning of that movie. I mean, emotional. I'm talking about crying on an American Airlines flight. And that's because in the first 30 minutes of that movie, maybe the first 15 minutes, that unit came together. They came together and said, let's go. Let's go do our jobs. Let's go together. And in fact, the Hemsworth character was going to get out. And another character was getting ready to retire and they forego their, they, they let go of their families, let go of their lives at home and went to deploy in a very dangerous wartime environment. Now the rest of the movie was cool, but for me, that was a reminder of what I valued in my military career, that common bond of having a common purpose. How would you say that your time in the Navy shaped you as a teacher? Short answer, patience. Uh, patience and respect for different perspectives. One of the things the military doesn't get enough credit for is its diversity. Um, the military, the Department of Defense, people that serve in uniform come from all over the country, sometimes from all over the world, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of social economic backgrounds, integration of women, and again, to lead a group like that, you have to respect that diversity, acknowledge that diversity, and be patient as you negotiate the differences that bind us all together. So as I teach, I believe that I have that patience. And then the other thing that I do that the Navy has helped me with is be able to relate it to real-time uh, situations and the leadership principles I talk about isn't it isn't just academic um, some of my principles have been tested in the most stressful most arduous and most dire consequences that you can imagine and some innocuous and benign but also some in pretty intense so when you're able to share that perspective um, it really resonates with students 
CJ, I think that you have really reminded us about what it means to serve others, whether that's in the classroom or within the Navy or in many other ways that um, people can help other people. Um, I think that when you're talking about your experience in the Navy, it really gets at the heart of um, what motivates people to serve their country. And, and that's in light of uh, what Bob Feller did and what his generation did. And so I think that there's uh, really some parallels there that, that people can learn from. Our, our tough question that we'd like to ask people is, what, what's your definition of valor? My definition of valor is, that's a good question. The first thing that comes to mind is that it's not bravery. My definition of valor is service beyond self. Service to others beyond self. Sometimes that means making a sacrifice. Sometimes that means making a tough decision. When I think of valor, I think of going beyond oneself for others. And you've made the parallel perfectly. I believe that's what Bob Feller did. I don't think he thought about it too much. I think it was pretty instinctive. I think it was a reflex that after when Pearl Harbor happened, he saw an opportunity to serve. He didn't do it for glory. He didn't do it for credit. He sacrificed his baseball career, quite possibly his prime, and put service to his country and service to his citizens above self. I've been known to say, and it's a known fact, that less than 1% of this country chooses to serve and protect the citizens and the democracy of this country in harm's way around the world. In World War II, all the way through to the end of Vietnam, we had a draft. Bob Feller, just like the people that serve today, chose to serve. And making that choice, to me, is valid. I, I don't know if anyone could say it any better. Um, so before we, before we let you go, um, as an expert on leadership, what is you know, one piece of advice maybe for others out there looking to take on leadership positions or, or what are resources would you recommend for someone interested in learning more about leadership? Well, um, I won't advocate for any particular resource um, because there's a lot, you go to, you know, I would say go to a bookstore or go to a library, but no one does that. So you go to Barnes and Noble online, go to Amazon online and you can Google leadership and literally thousands of titles will come out. Uh, hopefully you'll see something from me in the near future. A little tease so, for us. All right, continue. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm working on a book. The title of it is what I started off telling you guys, look them in the eye and tell them the truth. So I'm working on a book right now, um, which will expound upon what we've just been talking about. So yeah, study up, read up, read anything, you know, read anything that you can find, anything that jumps out at you, um, read about leadership. But the biggest thing that I would tell folks, especially those that aspire to leadership, is in addition to self-study, read about it, understand um, that leadership doesn't happen by accident. It's a choice. I don't believe in leadership by example. I'm going to walk around and people are going to follow me. That's not the case. You have to choose to engage and choose to interact and choose to take on the mantle of leadership. 
The third thing, you see, I like things in threes. The third thing is observe others. Watch others lead. Take lessons from what they do. What kind of effect did they have, negative or positive? Watch others lead. And then build your portfolio for what you would do based on your intention to lead, based on your studying to lead, and based on your observation of leaders, you can create yourself as a leader. Fantastic. That's, that's amazing, uh, amazing advice that, you know, I think all of us can use, especially as someone who's held leadership positions in the past. I think anyone listening to this could attest to how helpful the things that you mentioned are. And, you know, we, we had a blast talking with you. Um, thank you for coming on. Well, thanks a lot, Nathaniel, Tyler, Colin. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. I've listened to some of your podcasts. Um, very engaging, great conversations. I hope you find this useful. I hope other people find it useful. Um, I now have time to produce more content on my own. And as I finish my book, I will be putting out more content. And if you or anybody listening to this wants to continue this conversation, about leadership and what it means to you and what it means to your organization and how it can grow and how you can cultivate it and cultivate a culture of engaged, interactive, transformational leadership. I look forward to anybody reaching out to me. I'm uh, easily found on LinkedIn, uh, Dr. CJ Mitchell. Awesome. Appreciate it. When your book comes out, we'll have to have you back on to discuss this more. Thanks for your time today. Absolutely. You guys have a good day. Thank you very much. The Bob Feller Foundation is proud to present our seventh annual awards ceremony on Thursday, November 14th, 2019 at the United States Navy Memorial in Washington, D.C. Seven recipients, including members of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Major League Baseball, the United States Navy and Marine Corps, as well as a military child, will receive this year's Bob Feller Award. While seating is limited, We want you and your corporation, association, or club to have the opportunity to view this special event at a later time. This year, the Bob Feller Foundation is presenting remote hosting for our awards ceremony. As a remote host, your organization will build valuable recognition while providing a quality educational experience for colleagues and customers. Aligning with the Bob Feller Foundation will strengthen your brand image and position your company as a thought leader to clients and employees. To host your private 2019 Active Valor Awards Ceremony remote cast, or for more information, please contact Peter Fertig at 516-901-5969.